Hi. I want to begin before we kind of get into our scripture this morning. It's 147th Psalm if you want to get ahead. Um, <laughs> it, I don't know if any of you saw a few weeks ago that there was a newscaster, uh, and I don't remember where, we were talking about this earlier, who wore the same outfit every night for a year. Did you see this story? He wore the same, and to see if anybody would notice, and I think the idea was that nobody really noticed. Um, and I started to think, I should try that. I should try to wear the same shirt for an entire year. You all notice. I've gotten more comments. Yes, this is a new shirt. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes, Tony went shopping for me for Christmas. Guess what? I got five of them. So you're going to get a month of new shirts. I think, um, I think Tony got tired of, um, of seeing me in the same three or four faded out shirts. And so she went shopping and she matched the ties and everything. She's out of town for a few days and I even dressed myself today and uh, matched up. But, uh, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, she's away with her sisters uh, for a few days, so it's just me and the kids. She's on a cruise. How fair is that? <laughs> somebody said, I, I, I complained about that earlier, and somebody reminded me of my own words from a few weeks ago. Life's not fair. So, uh, but, uh, but she'll be back tomorrow. But I, uh, I hope you had... Uh, a wonderful New Year's, whatever that means for you. I know some people kind of are really festive around New Year's, and some people just kind of usher it in very quietly. Uh, I've, I've kind of done this informal survey at every service, and it's just kind of interesting to see how it breaks down. I was talking to my brother a few days ago, and he and his wife and, and my niece, they were asleep by 11.15. Tony and I and the kids, we hold on until 12.01. We watch the ball drop, and I'm not kidding. Literally three minutes later, we're all in bed. Um, except for maybe Ryan. Ryan tends to stay up a little late, but the rest of us were sleeping. Uh, but I'm curious, how many of you stay up on New Year's Eve? How many of you actually watch the New Year come in? All right, it's been about, it's been about a 50-50 draw um, between each service. Each service has been, a, you know, half and half. I was kind of interested. A little bit more, I think, that stayed up in our middle service than that. I got in real trouble in the first service. I ventured into dangerous territory um, because people started to think that I was equating the question with age. And it's not a thing of, I know, I was really teetering on a, on a very dangerous place. Um, it's not a question of age, it's just a question of, I was just interested in, in uh, what your habits and what your uh, tendencies are. But I hope, whatever it was, that it's off to a good start. And we're going we're gonna to look a little bit in uh, kind of the way we think ahead. You know, New Year's is a time that we tend to project, we think ahead, we plan, we vision, um, maybe challenge our thinking a little bit as we look um, at our expectations for this new year. So I want to read from the 147th Psalm, the, the back half of this psalm. We'll pick it up at verse 12 and we'll finish the chapter. This is what we read. This is really the prayer that, that, that is on our lips this morning. Extol the Lord, Jerusalem. Praise your God, Zion. He strengthens the bars of your gates and blesses your people within you. And then here's our focal phrase this morning. He, he grants peace to your borders. He grants peace to your borders and satisfies you with the finest of wheat. He sends His command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He spreads like the snow like wool and scatters the frost like ashes. He hurls down his hail like pebbles. Who can withstand his icy blast? He sends his word and melts them. He stirs up his breezes and the waters flow. He has revealed his word to Jacob, 
his laws and decrees to Israel. He has done this for no other nation. They do not know his laws. Praise the Lord. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. God. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, speak now through your word, through your Holy Spirit, through our worship, touch our hearts and shape us, prepare us, mold us, call us, challenge us into the ways that you would lead as we seek to be obedient to your Son, Jesus Christ. For it is in his name we pray. Amen. So if, if you have worshipped with us here for any time, uh, you may notice that there are sometimes patterns in, in preaching, in my preaching. And a lot of times the opening part of a sermon is, is lighter. It's a little... Um, sometimes if there's kind of going to be a little more fun and, and, and laughter, it, it kind of front loads a little bit of the sermon as, as we kind of introduce and, and work our way into the Scripture and into what I believe are the words that God would want us to hear today. Um, I'm not going to do that now. We're going to get right into the heavy stuff. And here's the heavy stuff that, that frames our discussion today. Read an article not too long ago, by name, by a writer by the name of Mark Wolverton, who's a science writer, who had worked with oncologists and doctors and, and scientists. And this was the conclusion of the article I read. said this, that medicine, science, human advancement is unlikely to ever find a cure for cancer. Now, let that sink for a minute. Human advancement, science, technology is unlikely to ever find a cure for cancer. He called that his dark conclusion. He talked about in the article the way that, that human cells um, replicate. A lot of us remember this from, from basic biology, from the moment that we became a multi-celled organism in our mother's womb. Our cells are constantly replicating. And as we develop uh, into, and then as we grow as children, as adults, I mean, there's trillions of cells replicating on a daily basis. And inevitably, some of those cells replicate abnormally. They don't copy correctly. And our body has defense mechanisms to deal with that. And there's a lot of science involved in this. I'm not a scientist. I don't pretend I didn't stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. I don't know that stuff. So if you're a science person, pardon kind of the very simple language that I use. But, but the idea is that our body deals with those cells. We have a defense mechanism that deals with those cells that replicate abnormally to eradicate the threat. But as our years go by, the odds start to swing a little bit. The more years we live, the more chance there is that those abnormal cells are going to slip through our defense mechanism and begin to themselves replicate. And that in itself is cancer. And he says, based on that, and based on the expanse and the way our bodies are and the complexity of it, we're unlikely to ever have a cure for cancer. And I read that, and that was heavy for me. And I even hesitated starting this sermon like this because I know it's heavy for some of you. I know in each service there are people here that are battling cancer. I know in each of our services we have husbands or wives or parents or children, loved ones, friends that are battling cancer. 
And that just seems like such a heavy, almost hopeless way to start a sermon. Except that it's not. It is a dark conclusion. But Mark Wolverton writes the article not to encourage us to just throw up our hands in defeat, not to say science should no longer study the problem, that we shouldn't fight it. I mean, I, as you know, I, I lost, my mother passed away, that's a better language, from a battle with cancer, my mother-in-law from a battle with cancer. I have no love for, and nobody does, for, for that disease. But, but his article isn't to say we should quit. We should just throw up our hands and surrender. But rather, his dark conclusion is meant to try to push science to look in some different directions, to expand that definition of what it means to, to be well, um, to, to overcome, to, to be healthy, and maybe a different way of understanding. I, I wrote, well, I actually didn't write, I copied down his words because I, I knew I wouldn't memorize this correctly and I wanted to, to get it right, but I want you to hear what he writes in his article. He says, if we give up the idea of a magic cancer-killing bullet, we can accept the dynamics that govern the disease while turning those same mechanisms against it. We can shift research priorities from a model that's destined to fail to one that's more realistic, seeking targeted interventions but avoiding the search for the chimerical cure. We can face this ancient scourge, however reluctantly, with a graceful recognition that it's simply part of what it means to be human. Now, what he's saying is that we have to think differently. He's saying that, that, that his encouragement, his challenge to, to science and to medicine and to those who battle this awful disease is to think in a, in a new way, to broaden the spectrum, to broaden the, to broaden the understanding of what health and wholeness and healing looks like. And so it's not really hopeless. It's rather understanding our hope differently. I, I thought about this in the context of a conversation I've had on more than one occasion with a member of our church family battling cancer, and that's Dot Massengale. As Dot and I have talked uh, here and there over the last year or so, or even longer, she has said to me more than once, she said, this is not a cancer that they can cure. Her cancer is not a cancer that they can cure. Now, that would seem like a hopeless statement. But it's not, because the hope and what the doctors are doing and what she's and what we're praying for is that they can contain it. They can manage it. They can stifle it. They can box it in, if you will, in a very unscientific understanding, and that she can continue to have quality and quantity of life. But it's understanding what health is going to look like for her in a different way. Now, why even bring that up today? Because... We need sometimes to be challenged in our thinking to understand that what may seem like dark conclusions can lead us to very hopeful and promising paths. In the scriptures today, in the 147th Psalm, verse 13, it says, I think it was 13 or 14, let me double check because I don't yet all look down. Um, yes, verse 13, um, he strengthens the bars of your, your gates, blesses your peoples within you, he grants peace to your borders. Now, that's the phrase that struck out to me. Peace to the borders. Now, here's the, the historical context, because that matters in Scripture. The, the historical context of this psalm is written in the period of Israel's history that is known as the post-exilic period. 
Now, what that means is, if, you, if you're not familiar with the history of Israel, in 586 B.C., Babylon, as the dominating power, overthrew Israel. They conquered Israel. And they carried many of the Israelites into captivity in Babylon. That is the period of Daniel, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's part of the period of Jeremiah. That was called the exile. In 539, after Persia had overthrown Babylon, Persia and the king of Persia, Cyrus the Great, frees the Israelites, says you can go home again. And many of those who were taken into captivity returned to Israel, returned to their homeland. That is the context in which this psalm and this prayer is written. That's the context in which the psalmist says, he will grant peace to your borders. And I started to think about that. What does peace look like? Now, it would be fascinating if we had the time for everybody to write down. If I said, if I say to you that the nation, our nation, any nation will have peace in the borders, peace in the community, peace in the, um, uh, in the, the, the gathering of its people, what, what does that mean to you? What would you expect that to mean? And if we could kind of bullet down what, what peace looks like, I know our list would vary. But if yours is like mine, my initial reaction, my initial response, my initial idea of, of a nation that is governed and, and ruled and walks in peace is a nation in which there's no turmoil, that people get along, that neighbor supports neighbor, that, that communities support communities. There's no threat from the outside nations and, and other powers that be. That, it, it becomes in some ways Camelot. You know? Here's the problem. Camelot don't exist. It never has. And it didn't in post-exilic Israel. That wasn't a perfect nation. Everything wasn't ideal. They weren't exempt from any outside threats. But rather, what the psalmist is talking about, he's talking about peace, which is shalom. Now, you may have heard that word before, but it means wholeness. It means completion. It means health. And what he's talking about is not a nation, not a promise of God that you will be exempt as a, as a nation from threats or difficulties or challenges, but that God will provide the means for you to meet them, for you to, to overcome them, for you to face them head on. Interestingly enough, in the early years of, of the post-exile, God's provision was the nation of Persia that protected Israel from those outside threats, but it didn't mean those threats didn't exist. Now, if we take that same principle that, that, is, a, a, that is applied to a, in the context of a community of people, a nation, and we begin to think deeper about what that means in the context of our lives and our, our journeys of, of, of life, not just faith, but our journeys of faith, what does it mean for you and for me if we deeply personalize this image to have peace within our borders, to have peace within our lives, to have peace within our relationships, what does that mean for us? Because we know intellectually, we know experientially, that if our understanding of peace is that we will not have problems, that no hardship, no difficulties, no, no um, tragedy is ever going to befall us, if that's our understanding of peace, then we're going to reach a very, very dark conclusion very, very quickly. And that is, that's not the reality in which we live. 
we're going to recognize that that's not possible. Kind of going back to the science, that, that there's no cure for cancer, possibly. We're going to recognize that we, we don't get that kind of a lifetime. We may have moments of that. We may have periods of that kind of tranquility. But I, I don't know, and, and if your story is different, please come share it with me, because I want to hear it. And I say that sincerely. But I don't know anybody who's ever walked more than a few years on this earth that doesn't know what's in difficulty and hardship and, and, and um, threats, if you will, in, in all kinds of ways. So if that's not what the psalmist is talking about, if that's not what peace looks like, maybe we need to begin to think about peace differently. Maybe we need to become challenged to think beyond what, what sometimes, for many of us, becomes a very limited understanding of, of shalom, of wholeness, of restoration, of health, of prosperity. And so as we begin a new year together, I want to challenge you with a couple questions to begin to think maybe a little deeper, a little broader, to expand some of our ideas in faith. And that is this. As we begin this new year, what do you expect? What do you expect? And most specifically, let's direct that. What do you expect of God? Wherever you are in your journey, we're all here today because we're on a journey. Now, we're in different places. Some of you have walked with the Lord your entire life. Some of you are newer to faith. Some of you may be here and you're not sure what you believe, but you're just trying to figure it out. But what do you expect of God? Because sometimes our reality and our expectations collide. Now, we know the reality is that life has challenges and difficulties, and we're going to face them. But if we're honest, some of us still come to God with the hope, with the belief, with the, the desire, understandably in some ways, that God is somewhat of our cosmic Santa Claus. That as long as our name is on the nice list, we can present our list of wishes, and God will grant those wishes. And that God will act as our insulator, our protector, our... Um, our, our wall, if you will, from those difficulties and hardships. That if our faith is strong enough and if we believe hard enough, those bad things aren't going to happen. And here's the problem. There's nothing wrong with wanting that. There's nothing wrong with being honest with God and bringing those desires to the Lord. And sometimes the Lord answers our prayers in exactly that way. But if we believe that God's chief goal is to protect and insulate us, we're off track because it's not biblical. That's not God's promise. That's not the reality. In fact, go no further than the most famous of all the Psalms, the 23rd Psalm, the most famous probably of all the Scriptures. David writes there, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And then he writes this, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me, for God is with me. Now, hear that word, even though. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death. What is David's expectation? His expectation is of a God, not who will protect him from the valleys, but a God who will provide through his presence in the midst of them. A God who will be there in the moments of his valleys. The problem is too many of us come to faith with the expectation that God's going to keep us out of those tough places. 
And I challenge you, go pick any book of the Bible. Go Genesis to Revelation and find that for me because I don't see it. God's promise is to be there in the midst of it. Now, that's hopeful. That sounds dark, but it's hopeful. But what do you expect? What are your expectations of God? Because if you've got the cosmic Santa Claus kind of God, you're going to be disappointed. It's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time. What do you expect of God? What do you expect of others? As we begin this new year, what's your expectations for those who are closest to you, friends, families, neighbors, those whom God has placed in the the inner circles and beyond of your relationships in your lives? Because many of us approach those relationships with unrealistic expectations, the belief that we're never going to be let down, and that if somebody does let us down, we have to write them off and move on. And that creates very shallow relationships in our lives because we just have an unfair expectation. Of, of our relationship with others and our church. Let's make this deeply personal. If you are looking for the perfect church, you are in the wrong place. But here's what I can say without criticism of any other church. Go in any of them and you're in the wrong place. It doesn't exist. We're human beings. We fall short. We do the best we can. But our problem sometimes is we bring our unrealistic expectations in to this place and into what it means to be the body of Christ. And I do it too. I I absolutely do it. I will lay in bed at night sometimes, and I will dream. I will just, Lord, please, give me a church where nobody ever complains. Can you do that for me, Lord? I would love that. And, And while you're at it, God, you know what? I would really love that church that all meetings are wonderful. And, and if we're going to add to the list, how about that church where I can just do the things I really love to do and I don't have to do the other stuff that I don't like as much? In other words, I start praying for Camelot and the Lord speaks to me and he says, wake up. <laughs> he says, because if that church exists, you're not qualified to pastor it. So, because it's just not. But, but if my understanding of peace, and this is my point, if my understanding of peace My understanding of wholeness is that God will meet my every wish. My friends and family will never do anything to disappoint me or let me down. And that my church is going to be perfect in all things. Come this time next year, I'm going to be sadly, sadly disappointed. And that brings me to the second question. Not only what do you expect, but what does peace look like for you? What does peace look like? I, I, at this time of year, we, we hear often, and maybe you've said it, uh, especially if 2014 has been a rough year. Maybe your, your thoughts, your words, uh, your writings have reflected an attitude that says, I'm glad 2014 is over. I look forward to a new year, a new opportunity, new um, beginnings. And that's understandable. I know some folks in each of our services have had really rough years, and I totally get that. Hey, Let's let the calendar kind of start a new, a new saga, a new chapter, if you will. But, but this is what I realized. I was, I was taking note of, of some of the social media conversations of some of my friends and some of the conversations I've had. And, and it dawned on me that some of the people that I've, I've talked with who have said that 2014 was awful and they hope 2015 is better were the same people that a year ago said 2013 was awful. And they hope 2014 is better. And they're the same people that the year before that said 2012 was awful. And they hope 2013 is better. You get the point. Now, I'm not criticizing the hope. But when they're constantly disappointed, I wonder what they expect. 
I wonder what peace looks like for them. I wonder if they've set a scenario and a possibility that is never going to be, meet and, and to be met. And I wonder if next year at this time, I'll be hearing them say 2015 was awful, but I sure hope 2016 is better. We need to understand how God works. God works not by removing us from all the difficulties and challenges, but by being present with us by giving us strength and very often allowing those places to become places of blessings and deliverance and faith and of hope. Sometimes we find those in the least likely of places, but we have to understand that peace within our borders means that we do sometimes find hopeful paths out of very dark conclusions. And that peace looks very, very different than way we, the way we may want it to look. Sometimes it's far more powerful than we can even begin to comprehend. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book called, and he wrote a lot of books, but he wrote one called David and Goliath. And he talked about this fascination, this draw that we have to the underdog stories and how often the underdogs will rise up and they will, they will be victorious in circumstances nobody expected. And David and Goliath is that f- story that frames that because David was the ultimate underdog. And he talks about the fact that very often underdogs are successful because they think creatively. Or in our context, they think differently. He said that if David had decided to meet Goliath in the standard traditional way, if David had grabbed the sword and put on the armor and went out to face his giant, he would have been slaughtered. Goliath would have eaten his lunch. But David knew that he didn't have that strength. David knew that victory couldn't look that way. So he focused on his strength, and he walked out to the, to the amazement and the dismay of his brothers and his people. He walked out onto the battlefield with what he knew, a sling and a rock, and with it he slayed a giant. Gladwell talks about cases of people like a man that he knew who was dyslexic, that had that learning disability and had a hard time overcoming that. And so rather than focus on his weakness. He focused on his strength, on his power of persuasive speech, his strength of memory, and he became a very effective and successful attorney because he was willing to think differently. God calls us to think differently. God calls us to understand peace differently, shalom, wholeness, restoration. I wonder where we'll be this time next year. I'm not in any way saying don't take your honest, heartfelt desires to the Lord, but don't limit them. Don't limit the Lord by our boxes. Understand that God works far greater and God's promise is his presence. And his strength is in the relationships he provides and the opportunity he gives us to find his power in the places we'd least likely expect it. Paul says that in my weakness, his power is most strong. I pray that as we begin the new year, you find his power, his peace, his shalom, which is his presence that is with you now and always. May that be your strength. May that be your hope. And in 2015, for you and for me, may that be our joy. Let us pray. Loving God, we submit our hearts to you. We open ourselves to to thinking differently to recognizing that in life there are many places that we seem to experience very dark conclusions, but out of those come very hopeful paths, promise and deliverance. May that give us courage. May that give us strength.
May that give us faith. We pray this day in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we...